I'm Dr. Sarah Dill, and this is the Stressless Physician Podcast, episode number 30. Welcome to the Stressless Physician Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Dill, MD. Using my unique combination of coaching and mindfulness tools, I will teach you practical ways to reduce your stress level, feel happier at work, and create a better balance between your medical career and personal life. If you are a busy practicing physician who wants to design a life and medical career that feel good to you, you are in the right place. Hey everyone, happy Monday or whatever day you are listening to this. I am excited today to do another one of my lessons learned podcast episodes. Anyone who has ever talked to me on Zoom or seen me on Zoom has probably seen my bookcase, which is full of books, largely nonfiction, mostly self-development, personal growth, meditation, mindfulness, and it was fun for me to go through them today and decide who I wanted to highlight. So today I really want to talk to you about some of the lessons that I learned from Eckhart Tolle. And I think Eckhart Tolle seems to be someone that people either really love or really don't. And of course, whatever feels right to you is totally fine. So if he is not your cup of tea, that's fine. You may still want to listen and see if perhaps your impression or experience has changed. Sometimes that's happened for me. I've read a book or been introduced to some teaching, and at the moment or the year or whenever it was, I really didn't like it. It didn't resonate. I didn't believe it. didn't make much sense, and it was a no. And then later, I come back to it, and suddenly, I'm different, and my experience of it is very different. And so it was fun to go back and find the books that I had from him, trying to see what the date was. But this was probably... I think I was first exposed to him when he was on Oprah's book club. Looks like maybe in 2008 is the inscription that I wrote in it. So he has three books that I'm looking at right now. One is called The Power of Now. Another is A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose. And the third is Stillness Speaks. So I'm just going to pick and choose some different ones, but I think you can see why I like him. I feel like he's very complimentary to what I teach. And of course, there is this idea that there's not really any new ideas out there. There's just different ways of presenting them. Um, And again, different language, different time, different style will appeal to each of us a little bit differently. I want to start off by reading, it's sort of a longer quote about emotions. And I remember when I had first been introduced to this idea that it was our thinking and our perceptions, right, that created our emotional response and that emotions didn't just arise out of nowhere. And I liked the way that he explained this. So he says, emotion arises at the place where mind and body meet. It is the body's reaction to your mind, or you might say a reflection of your mind in the body. For an example, an attack thought or a hostile thought will create a buildup of energy in the body that we call anger. 
The body is getting ready to fight. The thought that you are being threatened physically or psychologically causes the body to contract, and this is the physical side of what we call fear. The more you are identified with your thinking, your likes and dislikes, judgments and interpretations, which is to say the less present you are as the watching consciousness. So he talks about this watcher, right, which I talk about as awareness of sort of being aware of what we're thinking, this meta skill. So he says, the more you are identified with your thinking, which is to say the less present you are as the watching consciousness, the stronger the emotional energy charge will be, whether you are aware of it or not. If you cannot feel your emotions, if you are cut off from them, you will eventually experience them on a purely physical level. And I would say, he says, as a physical problem or a symptom. And I do think for me that was true looking back. It's interesting to know if this has been other people's experience. But when I was in training and then a junior attending and very unhappy and very stressed out and very disconnected unconsciously or maybe even consciously from my emotions and what I was feeling, it did sort of take an escalation of physical symptoms, right? Even simply insomnia, a tight neck, I had TMJ and literally at one point couldn't open my mouth very much. And then I got this unusual autoimmune eye condition at one point where I was very sensitive to light and couldn't really open one of my eyes, which as a dermatologist, of course, is very interesting and sort of like a a bad joke. But really, all of those were a wake-up call that I needed to do something, right? I needed to change the way I was showing up starting by looking at what I was believing about my ability to change my situation and change my thinking and take ownership of all of it. So I do like this way that he explains it. Another quote I like about emotions, he says, boredom, anger, sadness, or fear are not yours, not personal. They are conditions of the human mind. They come and go. Nothing that comes and goes is you. And I think about this as well with guilt or with other things, right? Do we blame ourselves for how we're feeling or can we see it as conditions of the mind, right? Patterns of how the mind works. Often when we make ourselves responsible or beat ourselves up for how we're feeling, that adds a whole nother layer of negative emotion, of shame, embarrassment, and often makes us much less able to start to explore our patterns and to change them. He says, to realize that you are not your thoughts is when you begin to awaken spiritually. I love that. I also think to realize that you are not your thoughts is when you begin to have so much more freedom and space and power, right, to decide what to believe, what to make things mean. He says, what a liberation to realize that the voice in my head is not who I am. He says, who am I then? The one who sees that. So again, we have this sort of nonstop narration in our head right? Often somewhat critical, often somewhat judgmental, always like talking. I do like to think about it as my inner roommate. And it's very helpful, I think, to have this sense of disidentifying from it, right? You're the one who can observe that inner narrator, the inner roommate, 
whatever they might be saying. But what if you are not the one, right? Who is that voice in your head, right? You're the one who's observing the voice in your head. Again, that distance gives you a lot more authority and a lot more power to then decide, do you want to pay attention to that voice in your head? Do you want to change that inner narrative? Do you want to just turn down the volume? Another thing he talks quite extensively about is getting free from unhappiness. And this is a little bit of a longer quote, but I really like it. And this is something that I end up coaching on frequently and that for myself was extremely helpful. Do you resent doing what you're doing? It may be your job or you may have agreed to do something and are doing it, but part of you resents and resists it. Or perhaps you're carrying unspoken resentment toward a person close to you. Have a good look inside. Is there even the slightest trace of resentment or unwillingness? If there is, observe it on both the mental and the emotional levels. What thoughts is your mind creating around this situation? Then look at the emotion, which is the body's reaction to those thoughts. Feel the emotion. Does it feel pleasant or unpleasant? Is it an energy that you would actually choose to have inside you? Do you have a choice? He goes on to say, maybe you are being taken advantage of. Maybe the activity you are engaged in is tedious. Maybe someone close to you is dishonest, irritating, or unconscious. But all of this is irrelevant. Whether your thoughts and emotions about this situation are justified or not makes no difference. The fact is that you are resisting what is. You are making the present moment into an enemy. You are creating unhappiness, conflict between the inner and the outer. He says, either stop what you are doing, speak to the person concerned and express fully what you feel, or drop the negativity that your mind has created around the situation and that serves no purpose whatsoever, except to strengthen a false sense of self. Recognizing its futility is important. Negativity is never the optimum way of dealing with any situation. In fact, in most cases, it keeps you stuck in it, blocking real change. So he says, wherever you are, be there totally. If you find you're here and now intolerable and it makes you unhappy, you have three options. Remove yourself from the situation, change the situation, or accept it totally. If you want to take responsibility for your life, you must choose one of those three options and you must choose now and then accept the consequences. No excuses, no negativity. Keep your inner space clear. He also says if you take any action, leaving or changing your situation, drop the negativity first if at all possible. Action arising out of insight into what is required is more effective than action arising out of negativity. And I will say that this has been my experience, both personally and with my coaching clients. I will often say, let's work on getting you happier. Let's work on accepting the situation. Let's work on right getting happier and less stressed out now. And from that standpoint, it's much easier to make effective change and to see possibilities that when you are in a hurry, right, and he would say in this sort of negative space, you don't even see the options. So I really love that. And so he was one of the first teachers to really sort of explain that in a way that made sense to me. 
I know in other podcast episodes, I've talked a lot about dropping the resistance to what is currently happening, right? To not arguing with reality. And of course, Eckhart Tolle talks a lot about that as well. He says, some changes look negative on the surface, but you will soon realize that space is being created in your life for something new to emerge. So I love that as a thought that gives me the possibility that perhaps even though I don't like what's happening right now, could it be that space is being created in my life for something new to emerge? He also says, life will give you whatever experience is most helpful for the evolution of your consciousness. How do you know this is the experience you need? Because this is the experience you are having at the moment. I love that. Although if you are having a very difficult experience, sometimes that can feel very harsh. But looking back on some of the hardest experiences of my life, I can now see that They did create a lot of the growth and potential, and often they were what I needed at the time. So again, it's a different way of looking at this idea about not arguing with reality, surrendering to how life actually is right now. He talks about complaining as a sign of non-acceptance of what is. He says, to complain is always non-acceptance of what is. It invariably carries an unconscious negative charge. When you complain, you make yourself into a victim. When you speak out, you are in your power. So change the situation by taking action or by speaking out if necessary or possible or leave the situation or accept it. All else is madness. So it's that same idea as well. And so... I think I've talked before about sort of noticing if you're in a victim mindset or whether you are in sort of more of an ownership mindset, right? Are you taking responsibility for how you're feeling, your choices, et cetera? So whenever we are complaining or venting or blaming, you know you are in a victim mindset. And the reason that's a problem is that Usually when we're in that mindset, we don't feel like we have any power or ability to change whatever it is we're complaining about, venting about, or whatever blame we're assigning to someone else or a situation. So it's a way of giving our power away, and it's very disempowering. So nothing wrong there. It's just something to notice. He goes on to say discontent, blaming, complaining, And self-pity cannot serve as a foundation for a good future, no matter how much effort you make. I will say, too, he makes a distinction that simply asking for someone to correct a situation or a behavior or a job not well done is not complaining, right? So the example he gives is that if the soup you ordered is cold, sending it back because it's cold isn't complaining, right? So it doesn't mean that you just sit back and allow everything to happen, but you don't argue with the reality. You don't make it mean that you're being disrespected or blaming or anything like that. So there's always a difference between having boundaries, asking for what you want, versus the attitude of complaining or blaming. He has a lot to say about past and future. And again, I think I'm going to do a different podcast episode on this, this idea of the past really only existing in our present thoughts about it. 
right? How to change your past. One thing he says is that memories are thoughts that arise. They're not realities. Only when you believe that they're real, then they have the power over you. So memories are thoughts that arise. They are not realities. Only when you believe that they are real, then they have the power over you. But when you realize it's just another thought arising about the past, then you can have a spacious relationship with that thought. The thought no longer has you in its grip. He says people don't realize that now is all there ever is. There is no past or future except as memory or anticipation in your mind. He goes on to say there is a fine balance between honoring the past and losing yourself in it. For example, you can acknowledge and learn from mistakes you made and then move on and refocus on the now. It's called forgiving yourself. And I think that's so important, right? Do you continue to beat yourself up for the past? Do you continue to think about the past? Do you bring the past into your future by your thoughts about it? Or do you realize that the past only exists in your mind now? And if you did, what would that make possible for you? He sums it up in this quote, the past has no power over the present moment. I love that. Again, that feels so spacious to me and so powerful and so empowering. He has some pithy quotes as well. Whatever the present moment contains, accept it as if you had chosen it. I love that. I will say I often fail at that, but it's a good goal. Anything that you resent and strongly react to in another is also in you. In coaching, we also refer to that as if you spot it, you got it, right? And it can just be a way to notice, are there traits in other people that you don't like and are you not noticing how you perhaps have those. I would say I also like the converse idea that things that you admire in other people are likely also characteristics that you yourself have. Often we don't see that, right? We see our flaws and we see other people's positive traits. Can you own both in yourself? He says the primary cause of unhappiness is never the situation, but your thoughts about it. I know I've talked about that extensively. He elaborates on that. The primary cause of unhappiness is never the situation, but your thoughts about it. Be aware of the thoughts you are thinking. Separate them from the situation, which is always neutral. It is as it is. He has a great line on worry. He says, worry pretends to be necessary, but serves no useful purpose. Again, I really believe that. And yet I still find myself worrying a lot. So it's a work in progress for me. But I do believe that worry just pretends to be necessary. What would it look like to work without worry or parent without worry, to live without worry? He speaks about the mind. The mind is a superb instrument if used rightly. Used wrongly, however, it becomes very destructive. To put it more accurately, you usually don't use it at all. It uses you. This is that same idea, right, that I have is that the mind is a wonderful tool, right? You want to put your mind to work for you and not let it be the one that runs the show. He goes on to say, thinking is a wonderful tool if it's applied. Thinking, however, cannot become the master. Thinking is a very bad master. If you're dominated by thinking, then your life becomes very restricted. 
And I would say especially sort of unconscious thought patterns or just believing, right, the narration in your head, just believing the stream of thoughts that you're having. Can you be aware of what you're thinking and really decide what you want to pay attention to, what you want to believe? Along that same line, he says, thoughts are fine when you don't confuse them with who you are, and then thoughts are not a problem. Thinking is a wonderful tool to create things in the world. It only becomes problematic and a source of suffering when you confuse thinking with who you are. I'll just sum up with a couple brief quotes. He says, life isn't as serious as the mind makes it out to be. And I love that. I think that we often get caught up and life feels so serious and feels so heavy. But what if life isn't as serious as the mind makes it out to be? Can we be playful? Can we have fun? Can we bring some lightness or discover the lightness in life as well? I like this quote. Being at ease with not knowing is crucial for answers to come to you. Right? So many of us are very uncomfortable with uncertainty and not knowing, not having control. But what if being at ease with not knowing is the crucial step to create that space for answers to come to you, for you to discover your own answers? He says, awareness is the greatest agent for change. That's what all this is that I'm talking about so often on this podcast, right, is building that self-awareness, building awareness, giving yourself that space. He also taught me that where there is anger, there's always pain underneath right? Or I would say fear often as well. Where there's anger, there's always pain underneath. He talks a lot about action as well. Accept and then act, right? Whatever the present moment contains, accept it as if you had chosen it. Always work with it, not against it. Make it your friend and ally, not your enemy. This will miraculously transform your whole life. He also says any action is often better than no action, especially if you have been stuck in an unhappy situation for a long time. If it is a mistake, at least you learn something, in which case it's no longer a mistake. If you remain stuck, you learn nothing. So I like the idea, we talk about it, of taking action, right? It gives you more information. You can then make a new decision rather than just staying in one place. And I'll end on these quotes. To love is to recognize yourself in another. I love that. You are not a problem that needs solving. I love that one too, right? What if we aren't a problem that needs solving? What if there's nothing actually wrong with us, right? What if what we need is awareness? You are not a problem that needs solving. And what about this quote? I'll end on this one. Life is an adventure. It's not a package tour. I love it. Life is an adventure. It's not a package tour. Again, that just helps me settle. It helps me stop resisting whatever's happening, right? Life is an adventure. I may not always appreciate exactly what's happening in the moment, but that's the invitation. Can I not miss out on the present moment? which in a very deep, true sense is all we ever have, right? A collection of present moments. I hope that you enjoyed this. It was fun for me to reacquaint myself with Eckhart Tolle. I hadn't read his books in quite some time. 
And I'll be back next week with a new podcast episode. Can't wait. Have a wonderful week. Bye. If you are a busy practicing physician ready to start feeling less stressed, enjoy work more, and learn how to create a more balanced and sustainable medical practice and life, sign up for a consult call with me at saradill.com. That's S-A-R-A-D-I-L-L.com. It would be my privilege and pleasure to work with you.